Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the conversation at the Heights. As always, I'm your host, John Booth. I'm here with Pastor Chris Grinstead and our associate pastor, Jacob Grinstead. Jacob, why don't you give us a little update on what's been going on this week? Yeah, so last night was our first night of vacation Bible school, Minions themed. Um, Minions were there, children were there, um, but we really started diving in um, with the topics of, um, you know, who is their master, serving their master. The meaning of Minions is uh, one in search of a master, Uh, so that's what they're learning in the teachings. It's really cool tonight. We have a teenager named Mr. Carter who's going to be teaching. And then Wednesday night, we have another teenager named Mr. Hunter um, who's going to be teaching as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. We have some skit people that are up there. And um, it's kind of funny. One of them is called, he's a rage monster. So um, he loses. Uh, it's a little rigged. Okay, so he loses and then he gets angry and chases a minion out of the auditorium. And that's how it ends. Um, so it's really fun. They even, the snack people even had these little Twinkies decorated as minions. So, you know, it's all going good, all going fun. Um, tonight, we'll see what happens. <laughs> you can't say that it's rigged. can't say that. Well, hopefully no uh, first graders are. <laughs> <laughs> if any first graders are tuned in the podcast, we're really sorry. It's not rigged. It's totally legit. <laughs> Pastor, uh, we had a great Father's Day this past week. It's some good... Good messages if you want to kind of expand Debbies. on those. Yeah, they were little Debbies. If you weren't there, <laughs> you missed out. And good stuff. Um, but, Pastor, if you just want to kind of dive into a little bit of the message and kind of expand on it, and then Jacob and I will hit you with some questions. Uh, yeah, we. Um, I was grateful to to see a good turnout on Sunday, and I do hope that our dads went home uh, feeling uh challenged and i hope that the things that were put together for them the little gifts the sunglasses and as you all said the little snack cakes i hope that uh they they left feeling appreciated uh the sermon was was pretty um challenging i think would be a soft way of saying it um when we were talking about what god had laid up on my heart we've been we've been studying stewardship and uh, in that study, it's, it's about um, basically being responsible for what has been imparted to you, what has been entrusted to you. And so um, I really didn't make the connection in years past of how Malachi and even the hearts of the fathers are connected together. Malachi is usually brought up a lot, Malachi chapter 3, when you're studying giving. And Lord willing, we will uh, do that as well. But uh, I, was, I had a dilemma, really. I was struggling internally as, um, Lord, do you want us to continue in the stewardship study, or do you want me to, to do a, you know, just a break and, and do something for Father's Day and for some reason, I was just stumbling all over myself, and really, I didn't get peace and normally like I do. And then it's like it all came together uh, when I read Malachi chapter 4 along with Luke chapter number 1. And in Luke chapter number 1, Zacharias has promised the birth of a son, an elderly man with an elderly wife, and promised the birth of a son, and that son's name was to be John, and we know that he became John the Baptist. 
Uh, but it was said about him there in Luke that he would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Uh, and that was talking about a promise that was made by the prophet Malachi in uh, chapter 4 of Malachi. And it talks about how that the hearts of the fathers would be turned back to the children and the children's hearts would be turned back to their fathers. And this is talking about what would take place with the coming of the Lord, coming of the Messiah. And uh, so Malachi prophesied it. Uh, John the Baptist proclaimed it. And that's basically where we uh, took our text from and uh, gathered the thoughts that God had gave us uh, about fathers' hearts being turned away from their children and how could they be turned back. And then we didn't talk about this Sunday morning, but it is a reality. Children's hearts can be turned from their fathers, and how can those hearts be turned back? And so that's, that was the basic um, gist of Sunday's uh, sermon, I believe. Take us through a little bit of that turning process, just quickly, if you would. Um, kind of explain the symptoms of that and what that looks like in the home. Now, what we, what we talked about was um, you can read a lot of books on what's taking place in the lives of men. Uh, I've been fortunate to read some of those books, some of those books I've read twice, um, just trying to get a grasp of really what's going on uh, in 21st century. But the, but the best book is the Word of God. And so when going to the Word of God, you can go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and in that, in that chapter, verse 3, talks about being without natural affection. And so that's where the Lord dealt with my heart about that it's supposed to be natural for a parent to love their child, whether it be a mother or whether it be a father. Uh, we talk about a mother's love, but really the father's love is just as endearing and, and is just as rich, or at least should be, and it should be felt, it should, and, and all of that. And so we talked about what would turn uh, someone away from this natural affection. And uh, when you look in verses 1 and 2, you get a good idea of uh, what can transpire in a person, in this case, a father's heart and mind. And so the first thing that we talked about was becoming self-absorbed. And Timothy puts it like this, lovers of their own selves. And so being self-absorbed is uh, one of the things that can happen in the, the life of a dad. Uh, you can get so inundated with, truth be known, pressures that are brought. Makes you think about, well, I've got to hold up to these pressures. And if you're relying on yourself, inevitably you're going to... Uh, fall into the trap, for lack of better words, of self-absorption. You're going to be thinking about, because uh, all the pressure's on you, it's, it's, it's all on you. And so when, the, when this is on you, uh, you'll have a tendency to think of yourself. Another thing that we talked about was that covetousness is a sign or a symptom. Um, covetous meaning you're, you're looking at what others have and you desire the possessions of other people. Uh, keeping up with the Joneses, if you please. Well, this can affect dads. Now, 
speaking on from from a dad's perspective, I'm not saying it's every dad's perspective, but uh, from my perspective, here's the thing of of how covetousness can work in a father's life is that it's his covetousness that works against him. But if he feels responsible for meeting the needs of his wife, then quite possibly her covetousness can affect him. And then if he has children, the more children that he has, the more prone he's going to feel responsible for meeting the desires of his children. And so his children's covetousness can work against him. And so when you, when you have all of that com- combined, it can cause a, a man's heart to turn away from his children. Um, this is d- a difficult truth. I, I, I perceive that it's a difficult truth is that when a father recognizes they cannot supply everything their children want, the only option then is, is to resent a, a bunch of needy people. And now that's not how it is with the child maybe, but we're talking about how the father may be processing it. And so uh, covetousness and then Let's say that you do accomplish it. Let's say you become self-absorbed. Let's say that you do become covetous, and then you do receive. You do get those things. You go out, you, you, you slay the lion, you kill the bear. You go out, and you bring home the bacon. Well, I, saw, I should have said you kill the pig, but you, go, <laughs> you bring home the bacon. And um, so then what can happen is, yeah, I did it. I pulled it off. And then that turns into a boaster, proud. And so uh, when, we, when we look at these things, these are all things that uh, can become a problem for a dad to where he ends up, his heart turns from his children. And then we, then we emphasize the, the one that we really camped out on Sunday was unholy. Uh, the, the book of Timothy chapter two, again, excuse me, chapter three, verse two, again, uh, ends with this list of things leading up to this statement without natural affection. And the last word that's used before the statement without natural affection is the word unholy. And that, that is where we spent most of our time Sunday. I wanted to contrast quickly. Um, this Sunday's message with last Wednesday's message, something that you said, um, talking about how all of our ideas of God are informed by our experiences with people. Because every person that we've ever met has been made in the image of God. Um, and I see how, how intuitively that applies to this message and how the, our earthly father can so drastically shape our opinion of our heavenly father and how that can either be so damaging or so uplifting. Yeah. It's just something that yeah, because I mean, consider. even for me in my personal life, and even um, you know, talking our youth group is I'd say ninety percent are athletes in our youth group. Um, but even talking with them and getting my personal life, you, it's like when I would do something wrong in my head, I was making the Holy Spirit scream at me, just as a coach would. Um, I would mess up, and. The experiences that I've had in my life, whenever I mess up, I get in trouble, I get yelled at, and they say, don't mess up again. And I never, because a coach, when you mess up, doesn't open his arms and say, come here, I know, 
try, let's try that again. It gives you a hug and says, get back out there, do it again, right? And I've yet to see a coach. No coach that. I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. So um, whenever I would do wrong and then I would be confronted by the Holy Spirit, I always um, filtered it that it was he was screaming at me and that I was it was absolutely terrible and I may not get another chance to do it again. Um, and these are one of the conversations that, um, you know, having working with the pastor and you get to meet with him, he has some of these conversations with you in his office before he teaches on it. And I remember it was years ago he said that exact point to me, and that totally transformed, um, was one of the huge transforming transformations of my relationship with God. Is I no longer looked at him as a coach, but I looked at him as a father. And, that, and when you can get to that of, yes, I messed up, he may not be yelling at me. He may be saying that I did wrong. He's not yelling at me. He's there to help me back up and to keep going. Yeah, I think for, for me, if there's one thing that I would really want my children to know, Hannah, Rachel, Jacob, is that God is not like me. Um, him talking about coaches yelling at him. Well, Dad yelled at him too. Um, but usually... The one yelling at us is not the Holy Spirit. It's usually the adversary. It's usually the accuser. He's the roaring lion. He's the loud one. And um, the Holy Spirit speaks in a still, small voice. And he's the one that's usually coaxing us in rather than pushing us away. Yeah, so something that I also um, was realizing with your message and something that really... Um, there's two things that hit hard, but one of them was um, God getting half-hearted leftovers. Mm. Um, and we looked at Malachi chapter 1 and verse 8. Um, can you just talk a little bit more of, you know, someone who's trying to self-evaluate while they're listening to this podcast or even in the service, asking them the question, um, am I giving God my leftovers rather than, you know, my all? So what would that look like? And even... What would the leftovers look like, and what would someone who's giving Christ their all look like? Even well, when 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 we looked at this, uh, this is where we honed in on the word unholy and became very, um, you know, just focused on that word. The, the first thing that I tried to express, and I hope it was received, is that there is a power that is at work. Uh, it's a seductive, um, it's a seductive web that is seducing people, seducing men and women, and and our children. Um, every generation has encountered it, and every generation will continue to encounter it. And it it's a reality that there is a very strong, powerful force. And uh, the problem is is most people don't recognize that 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 they're captured by it. Um, God knows that there's been times in my life when I have literally been been caught in this trap. Uh, you can be in ministry and caught in this trap, and it's 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 the spirit of presumptuous. It's the sinful spirit of presuming that God's okay. God accepts what we're doing. There's this mentality, and it's, it's a seducing spirit that there's this mentality out there 
that and and bear with me. God loves us, so whatever we do, He's okay with it. The truth is, God loves us, and He's only okay with when we do right. Any other time, He's not okay. It's just not okay. That sounds, I don't know how that sounds to people. I think it all depends on where you're coming from. And so that's one of the identifiers of have I been pulled over into this half-hearted spirit and giving God my leftovers. Whether we want to admit it or not, Jesus Christ plainly taught this that we were to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That's still the standard. God wants all of us, and he wants all of our love. And the idea that to give him, well, part of it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't flow. Now, we also recognize that men do not have perfect love. We're, we don't have a perfect love towards Christ. And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ still loves us perfectly when we love him back imperfectly. But the mindset of, oh, well, he's okay with it, that's not, that's not where we should live. That's not, that's not what we should walk in. So what does, what does half-hearted look like? What does leftovers look like? I don't think it's hard to recognize it. I think that even Malachi touched upon it. Malachi speaking for God when, when the Israelites were bringing their blind sheep, their lame sacrifices. They were supposed to bring a perfect lamb. They were supposed to bring perfect sacrifices. They were literally bringing a blind sheep. Why? Because it was flawed, but God's okay with it. They were bringing something that was lame. They were even bringing to sacrifice something that had actually already been killed by a wild animal. But that was their sacrifice. Well, Malachi touches upon this. I think it's in verse 8 of chapter 1 when he said, Will your governors accept this? And if the governors won't accept this, what makes you think I'll accept this? So now, with that said, Long answer, but here you go. What does this look like? Well, well, ask yourself the question. What are other people in this world demanding of you? What does your boss demand of you? What does your coach, as Jacob referenced earlier, what does your coach demand of you? What does your peer group demand of you? What does your wife and children demand of you, speaking to fathers uh, in particular? What what are these people expecting of you? Well, if you will admit it, they expect your best. Uh, your wife expects all of you. Uh, whether she's getting it or not, I don't know. Your children expect it. And, and let's think about the government. I mean, it goes as far as the governors. What do they expect? Well, they expect 30%. I mean, what's, what's, the, what's the tax rate? Uh, you, you see what I'm saying? So, and are they going to settle? For, no, don't pay your taxes. See what happens. They're not going to settle. And so when we're, when we're thinking about this, and I get very adamant about it, I, even, even now, it's not that hard to comprehend. Okay, I understand what it's like 
to want to give somebody half-heartedness and them not receive it. Mm-hmm. But, but, for, but for some reason, we think that God is. What we are doing is the long-suffering of God. We are thinking that the long-suffering of God is the acceptance of God. And it's, and it's not. It's not. The long-suffering of God is not the acceptance of God. It's the patience of God. It's the endurance of God. It's the mercies of God. Uh, but um, he, he's calling us, he's calling us to, to repentance. Um, to put it point blank, just to throw it right down, here it is. The average person now considers himself a faithful member of a local church if they attend every four to six weeks. So what are they doing the other three to five weeks? Now, they consider themselves faithful to God, but their church attendance, even though the Scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, so much the more as you see the day approaching, what has the church done? Well, they just stopped having Sunday night services, just stopped having midweek services. Um, why? Well, you can't afford to turn the lights on. Um, I remember speaking of this when I was in Tennessee, very large church in that area, mega church by all standards. And the question was asked, why, why don't you all have a midweek service? Now, this is over 20 years ago. And the response was, well, we don't have enough people to show up for a midweek service. We can't afford to turn the lights on in this building for that. Um, that's where we are. No one likes to talk about it, uh, but that's honestly where we are. We are giving Jesus a portion of our time. And it really is. If, if we look at it, if you, if you look at how many hours that a young person is on a ball field, whether it be soccer, football, baseball, as long as there's a ball involved, if you, if you measure the hours that are dedicated to that versus the Sunday morning service that they attend, uh, maybe, if they attend. Yeah, maybe, maybe once a month. If they don't have another game. Right. Yeah, there's there's so many things that are being you know when when I was a boy and you say you're trying to live in the past, I'm trying to have hope for the future. But the thought, the very notion of playing a ball game on a Sunday, and I'm talking about a little league ball game, you know, a little, a little league ball game. But now it is the driving force of so many families, and and um, at any at any rate, well, and to even speak to that a little bit, um, this isn't even from a. Well, I don't know if he's Christian or not, but it was a tweet I saw from a guy who does a lot of recruiting stuff for high schoolers, um, and he just put out there on a tweet. He was saying um, the pros don't even play seven games in one day. Why in the world are we making these kids play seven games in one day, taking a full day, and, well, the whole week is practice, and that one day of seven games, yeah. 
not only is it not good for them spiritually, but it's also not good for their body. <laughs> I mean, if we're really getting into it. Well, it, it, if we could go even a little bit further, this is the seductiveness that's going on that people just are blind to, and they don't want to. And and it, it, you know, I don't want to be here uh, on this podcast and just you know hammering all the time. But um, the truth is, this is this the truth. Um. There is a wickedness, and it's very seductive. The gods of the times of Malachi, Baal, Ashtoreth the goddess, and Moloch, they, they are still at work. They've just changed their names. They've changed their seduction, but what they require is still the same. And... Um, they, they, and so people are genuinely seduced by these gods, these unholy spirits, so they genuinely believe that the one true God is okay with the fact that they honestly, if, if we're going to be honest, they really, they honestly love sports. That's what they love. And that's just one. That's, that's, not, that's not all of it, you know. That's just one thing. So even with, um, you know, your next point that you talked about after bringing those up is you asked the question on Sunday, are you detached? And we even talked about how serving those lowercase g gods can often cause you to be detached. Um, But I also think it's, you know, with everybody expecting a lot from you and either you failing them or you feeling like others failing you, it can cause you to get detached to keep yourself from being hurt. So, um, and you were specifically speaking to fathers Sunday, but I think that can be taken for everybody. Is somebody that hurt you can cause you to be detached in other areas that the Lord wants you fully involved with because you're afraid of being hurt. So how do you um, help those and the people that you pastor get over that thought process of, or how does one get over that thought process of, if I dive full into this, I'm just going to get hurt again? Well, I, I, I think what, speaking from personal experience, this is just me personally speaking, the, the thing of detachment sneaks up on you. So it, it, it starts with uh, everything that Jacob mentioned. Uh, it could be hurt. It could just be tired. It could just be, um, you know, beat down for whatever reasons, discouraged by personal failures. And so what we have to do is we, we have to kind of somehow or another self-medicate. And most the people today self-medicate with a, a little device uh, called a cell phone. And so... Uh, there is so much out there that will distract you and take you away momentarily from the thing that hurt you or the thing that's distracted you or the thing that's made you tired. There is, and the way our brains work, the enemy, um, the devil is very aware of how we function and how we work. And so once we so we're, let's, let's run it through this scenario. It's been a difficult day. Things didn't go very well. Time to go home. What do I want to go home to? 
uh, well, I, I want to go home to some peace. I want to go home to some rest, some mental and emotional rest. So where am I going to get that? Well, this is where the lie comes in. Hollywood offers it to you. The music industry offers it to you. All the different entertainments, uh, they offer it to you. So, so basically, they want to amuse us. And so we go into a mode of needing amusement. I don't remember quite what the, the, the textbook definition of that is. Uh, the way I read, the way I have uh, translated it in my mind is it's just a, a mental numbness. And in that mental numbness, I can sit there with that mental numbness, and here's what will happen. I will receive whatever, whoever is offering the Novocaine, I will receive whatever they put in me at that time, you see. And so uh, when, when we do that, before you know it, it snuck up on you to where now, at the end of the day, you're not looking forward to time with children. You're not looking forward to time with wife. You may be doing it, but you're not looking forward to it. You may be doing it out of duty. You may be doing it out of responsibility, but you're not looking forward to it. And uh, Malachi even references this when talking to the nation of Israel. They, their, their worship is said that it had become wearisome. They had become weary with it. They had become burdened with it. So when you're looking at that, that you're starting to become detached, is, do your, is, is, is going home to the wife become a burden? Is going home to the kids become a burden? Is going to church become a burden, you see? And so what, what, has, what has happened in your heart? Well, something has hurt you, and you're not receiving the healing from the right place. Something has discouraged you and defeated you, and you're not receiving the encouragement from the right place. You're receiving the encouragement from the wrong place. And to where it's become, that's where I'm going to get my encouragement. That's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to get my um, uh, uh, dopamine. That's the word that I was groping for. Where am I going to get my dopamine from? And that's the brain's chemical that releases, that gives you a little bit of of, of, of rest and people are getting it most people are getting it from some form of entertainment um, folks minds immediately might be prone to immediately jump to pornography but that's not that's that, that's kind of like back in the 80s when heavy metal just was raging and so the heavy metal music was raging and everybody was screaming oh the heavy metal it's coming from the pit and they i agree with them about that but what was happening was is the same lies were being sung to us and was being snuck in the back door through country music same lies were being told it's just that satan was screaming and in the front yard so he could bring the same lie in the back door well the same thing is happening in our culture right now People are screaming pornography, and, and God forgive us. It, it's, a, it's a serious problem, and it does provide the dopamine. But what Satan is doing is he's slipping the same lies in the back door. He's just not, he's just not wrapped it, the same thing. Uh, you can be just as duped 
and you can be just as mentally and emotionally, spiritually ignorant. You can be just as caught. You can be just as detached. And pornography not even be involved. It could just be something else that's numbing and dulling your senses towards God, towards truth. And so it could be a sitcom. It could be sports on television. It could be anything. But, but it's a, that's what I'm looking forward to. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this. When the only one and the only true healing and fixing of the human soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I see. It, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And these same tactics have been repeated throughout all of human history. But I remember a time in my life specifically when I was younger, um, and every parent was trying to get their teenager to read The Seven Steps to Success. The book. It's a self-help book about the seven steps to six, or the seven habits of highly successful people. Yeah, teachers Sorry, were passing it out. Right. Yeah, teachers are handing it out left and right. And, and I've got the book. Yeah, we all have a copy. Right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure we have several in our house. And just like what you're talking about, looking to the wrong source. Now, I'm not saying by any means that people can't write good books that are helpful, constructive, so on. But the thought that there is a book other than the Bible that you need to turn to to fix whatever this thing is that has gone wrong is a bigger lie to me than most. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it, it's all sorts of stuff like these hyper successful, you can't see me on the podcast. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> these hyper successful <laughs> businessmen that preach the book, the 48 laws of power. And it's all, a, it's all just tactics to manipulate other people to try to force other people to be subservient to you. And it's really, yeah. it's kind of a disgusting thing. Um, it's Baalism. It is. It it totally is. And and all of all of it reminds me of you know, a Roman quote quote from a writer in Rome. He says, "As long as you have provide them with bread and circus, they will do what you ask." And so it's just the same concept. And came the gladiators, right? Yeah. <laughs> what what is our bread and our circus now? Amen. Um, and That's and good. what are we what are we replacing the the empty parts of ourselves that we leave at the circus, what are we trying to replace that with when we get home? Yeah. Because um, if, if it's not the Word of God, if it's not the Scripture, then it's not going to work. Yeah. I keep trying to, as best as I can, live what I'm about to say. Why in the world would I end my day by rewarding my... Let's say I go home with a broken spirit. I go home with a tired spirit. Why would I reward that with garbage? So it's just at the end of the day determining whether it's been a good day or whether it's been a bad day. The reward at the end of the day is the Lord. Uh, Throughout the day, I understand, but uh, within this context of what we're talking about, why not go home and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to... read God's Word. I'm going to listen to a, a biblical sermon, uh, whatever the case may be. So we do have that option. Yeah, and it kind of ties in with what you were even going on Wednesday night. You talked about a renewing of your mind and a transforming of your mind. 
as Pastor mentioned earlier on the podcast, talking about the dopamine, what that does is it releases into your brain and it even causes, as when you walk through the woods, it causes paths that you are used to going down. So every single time you reward yourself and the release of dopamine comes from, you know, pornography or even just comedy or sports or however that's being released, it's creating paths that's easier for you to walk through. So at the beginning of your day, you go to the woods that you're about to walk through again in your brain and you see paths that are already cleared. And it's very easy to walk down those paths. But for us and for me personally in my life, what I've had to do is I've had to create new paths. As a teenager, I created paths that I didn't need to be walking down anymore. So then there had to be a moment where I needed a renewing and a transforming of my paths and my mind and even my heart. <laughs> but I had to wake up each day and look at the woods that I'm about to walk through and create a new path. And the more that I walk in that new path of rewarding myself with heavenly things rather than earthly things, you know, a total transformation, and the more that that happens... It's extremely hard at the beginning. You gotta take down some thorns. You gotta, you know, use the sword to cut a path for you um, to walk through. But the more that you walk on it, the I, don't, I never want to say easier it gets, but the more you see that path to take. Mm-hmm. Paths become habits. Habits become addictions. Right. Depends on what you are okay with being addicted to. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, because you, you, the reality of the human condition that we all become addicted to something regardless of what what that may be so you can either choose to in in the best of your human ability attempt to make that christ and his word and the things that he says or you can let the world define what it thinks your addiction should be yeah it's the strangest thing the the only time that anybody looks at you odd nowadays is if you are someone who is addicted to Christ, addicted to his ministry. Um, We've talked about this before. Um, You know, when we leave the service on Sunday morning and we head out the back door and we're, we're going somewhere, most people go to eat. And then the discussion at the the table, uh, I've been in the presence with people that wanted to discuss Sunday sermon and watched people get very uncomfortable because they had already gotten in this path of, oh, we've, we've done that. Now we're eating. And so we're, we're, we're done with that. And so what happens is, is there's just so much that we think that our flesh can take. And so now we've had enough of the Lord. Now our flesh needs something else. But uh, uh, Paul plainly teaches us that we owe our flesh nothing. We owe it absolutely nothing. And so, uh, but it, but it is you. You're you're not weird until talk about at church. You're not weird at church until you talk about the Lord too much. You then then you're then you can even look a little weird to other Christians. Yeah, I mean even. I mean, if you put it this way, the the devil has had years to perfect his craft, <laughs> I guess is a way of saying it, of perfecting a way to grab people's attention, to pull them away. But what we have to have a con- constant reminder of is we're not fighting the devil by ourselves. 
Yes, the devil has had years to perfect his craft, but we have a God that can overthrow the devil at any moment, any time, whenever he wants to. And that's who we have on our side. So when we're trying to um, be involved and trying to also um, hide our hearts from hurt so that we don't get detached again or the whole conversations that we've had, we have to remember who's on our side and who we're fighting against. Sure, the devil that we're fighting against, he's more powerful than me. He's more powerful than John Michael. He's more powerful than even pastor. But he's not more powerful than God. And with Christ in us, Christ before us, who can be against us? You know, a thing that I didn't speak to, Jacob, in your question is, you know, what does a, what does a person do? Um, and we have to exercise our will to make up our minds that we're just we're going to love Christ. Uh, so often, we as Christians, and I do not know exactly where this began. I'm sure there's someone who knows. But at some point in time in Christianity, it became Jesus saved me from my sins, and now Jesus, um, you know, Jesus, you do you you do you do it all. I I struggle finding that in Scripture because Jesus most definitely said to his disciples, "Follow me." Um, take up your cross even and follow me. And so, as you you're describing you know, blazing new paths, those, there's, Jesus genuinely expects us to make that decision, and we have the power to make that decision. There's been times when I've went to the Lord and prayed and said, Lord, deliver me, and he's like, I have you, it's time for you to resist. It's time for you to resist the devil. And I think that some of us Christians just don't, that's not within our our concept of what a walk with Christ means. Uh, and therefore, we end up, our, our, you know, getting back on subject, we end up, our hearts get turned. They get turned. And we got to turn back. It's called repentance is what it's. Is. Yeah, and um, I can't remember if you told this to me, or if it was somebody else. I can't remember who. May have even been in a message. Um, but the person that said it said, every single day I fall to my knees because if I didn't, there's no way I could stand the rest of the day. And that's just talking about when you're waking up and you have that decision of what paths am I going on today. And you're wanting to resist the devil. You're wanting to create those new paths. The way to do that is by starting off your day on your knees. The song... Um, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. The battle belongs to the Lord. And it really is a battle. It really is a struggle. Um, but it all starts with the conversation with God through His Word and through prayer. Amen. All right. Well, I think we're going to pick up the same topic 
uh, next week. There's a lot that we didn't get into in this message today. I think we should definitely dive back into it and go through those opposing powers and kind of what we can do, what, what Christ is doing in us against them. Um, but that is all for this week on the Conversation at the Heights. Gentlemen, anything left to close with? Anything you want to? Um, softball games are officially starting. Softball is officially started. Tuesday See Pastor nights. Chris playing second base. The men's Greater Heights softball team. One of the men's Greater Heights softball team. <laughs> <laughs> Vacation Bible school tonight. Oh, yeah. That, yes, that too. VBS tonight, six. Doors open at 610. Yes, 615. Check-in starts. Coffee shop's open for everybody. Coffee shop is open. See you there.